Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. I look a little different than I will in the video. Today I was coaching, and in Colorado we had an absolutely magnificent day. I mean, it was terrific, beautiful. Today is Sunday, March 7th. I got blasted by the sun. I am sunburnt to crisp. But I wanted to be able to present to you something that I did on Friday with a couple good friends of mine. This is episode 40 of Campfire Football. This is the goalkeeper episode. So for any of you who are coaches, goalkeepers, or anyone interested in what this position is all about, we would like to be able to present to you a little bit of our insight. These are my good friends, Jesse Suarez Castro, who is a coach down at Richland College in Texas, and my friend Ben Sipkoff, who, if you heard earlier back in the day, early days of the show, was here talking to me about loyalty. He works has his own company, PSI Soccer, and works for SAC in Maryland, and was a goalkeeper himself. And we just go over the changes in the position and what it's like for people to be goalkeepers and how you can help them better as a coach and maybe a fan. Enjoy. Look, I, I just want to kick it off by, by first of all saying that this being a, a sort of goalkeeper-based episode, it all came from the fact that, uh, Ben, you being a goalkeeper and the fact that you and I keep up with each other on what's going on, uh, th there's just been so much happening from uh, at the professional level, at the highest level, from goalkeepers where we see just a total change. The position has completely evolved. It's so different from what it was six years ago even. Uh, and the training methods that we see, you know, as coaches, they've changed enormously from, from what we experienced as kids. But this all kind of came about because I started to get a little bit concerned with the way goalkeepers were just being talked about. And you would see one mistake, a glaring mistake from a goalkeeper doing something that maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago or however long before would have been considered inconceivable right a goalkeeper runs out of his penalty area 40 yards from goal to intercept the ball misses it goal this is calamity of the season you know a decade ago in the Premier League now you see it every few weeks and it's because of how they're asked to play and how the position has evolved and so what I like to what I want to start with here is just in general we've got what kind of training methods have to be in place for us to be able to get goalkeepers to be comfortable in the future at this level? Cause I think we're definitely also seeing that transition of people who were brought up a certain way when goalkeeping was what it was. And in such a recent time, it's completely flipped. So um, Jesse, Jesse Suarez Castro, you are, you can tell us actually real quick sort of how you fell into coaching goalkeepers, even though you're not a goalkeeper. And then Ben, we'll, we'll, we'll get to you uh, in a second. So go ahead, Jesse, tell us sort of your path um, and, and how sort of the goalkeeping side of it has become more interesting to you because for field players, it's something that once you become a coach, you sometimes are like, how can I avoid ever doing this? <laughs> so yeah, go for it. Yeah. So thanks Sebastian. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, fell into goalkeeping by chance. I've always thought that the position was extremely incredible and unique. I've had so much respect for goalkeepers in my playing career as a college player. Um, I was actually a left back, so I have no idea, right? But every time my goalkeeper made a save, I was like, man, that is superhuman. Like, let's say just an unbelievable save. What are the reaction time that they have that 
you know, they used to, I don't know, save a ball off the line or a penalty kick even. So, yeah, I was always very interested. And um, then also, as I went up and, you know, to the higher level, just the foot skills that some of these goalkeepers had, some of these international goalkeepers that I ended up playing with in my career. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't grow up playing with guys like that. So I just, it continued to grow on me. And then I looked into it. Um, and like I had mentioned, you know, before to you guys in a different conversation, um, I, get, I fell into it by chance. Um, I was uh, coaching at an NAIA. And then I moved back home to coach my alma mater at San Jacinto College in Houston. And they didn't have a goalkeeper coach. So I started doing some research, got some formal training, started working with some professionals in the area. And, you know, I quickly realized, okay, if I'm going to teach these guys, I have to, you know, do it right. So I didn't think I had much wiggle room. So at first, my uh, coaching wasn't extremely creative. And it wasn't anything that was, uh, it probably didn't look, you know, as clean as other goalkeepers, uh, uh, goalkeeper coaches, but uh, it was effective. So that's kind of what I built on. And then uh, eventually a USL2 coach uh, stumbled upon our practice. He was looking for a field to play on actually, stumbled upon our pitch, thought it was amazing because it was. And all of a sudden he was like, man, dude, come here your goalkeepers, man, they can break lines. They distribute amazingly. I mean, they're great with their feet and, and, and man, they're, they're intense. Let me watch the session. Did so and then asked me to come out to be the goalkeeper coach for Houston SC, USL 2 side uh, in Houston. And uh, yeah, I ended up coaching some interesting characters there. Uh, it's almost like non-league football. So okay. uh, got to, got to coach, um, ex-professional player um the Bundesliga uh got to coach a kid that was a state champion so this is all in one pod a state champion from Texas 6A uh another guy that was a 16 year old kid you know and then also this uh uh wild character from Lynn University in Florida I think it's a division two and so I had this uh little pod of players but they were all unique and they were all just crazy because goalkeepers were different right? But it was a fun time. So I got to ask then, you, you said this guy comes, he sees your session. It's amazing. Um, was it, was it in large part because of what they were doing with their feet or was there, was there something else that really caught his eye about the way they were playing? Well, I believe that. So at San Jacinto College, man, we, we love possession-based football, right? And I mean, I think that a lot of us didn't really grow up with goalkeepers that were extremely good with their feet, but like as time has changed, we demand more of our goalkeepers. They're almost the, you know, 11th field player. Right. And so I think what, uh, what was really good about San Jacinto and the staff there was that we recognized that our goalkeepers had a skill set that uh, could help our team um, in their strengths, which our strength was backing. And so, mm. Uh, I believe that what caught his eye at first was the distribution, right? Breaking lines out wide and the ability to be uh, very accurate. Um, on top of that, just they can do that and then also perform the other goalkeeping tasks that are asked of goalkeepers. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, that's just a little extra. And then you kind of look for that because, like I said before, every goalkeeper coach has their own style. 
And for me, I'm very heavy and very um, particular on playing with your feet. And being a field player really helps, obviously. Um, especially being a, a field player that played out wide at left back. I used to get, you know, I used to want those, that distribution for my goalkeepers. And that's what I'm going to teach. So I, I think that really helped as well. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how, in that sense, if you're trying to get them to do more with their feet, how much time would you say is allotted towards their isolated training, like with the goalkeeper, with a goalkeeper coach sort of isolated doing their own reps and drills, and then how much of it is a percentage of them involved with the team as goalkeepers, and then the third one is involved with the team just as field players, like like maybe probably involved in small sided games and stuff is there do you have a general idea of what the breakdown that they would have on that is personally or generally well for your guys for for the for the groups that you've coached like how how is okay. how does that work yeah so i lobby for my guys to be involved with the with the team right playing with their feet all the time like let's say a 4v4 plus 3 you know my guys are the two neutrals standing on the on the on the sides. You know they're playing quick with their feet. They're moving. They're positioning well, right? And you can't hide in the game, so we can teach it, right? We can teach it on a Monday, and we can spend thirty minutes because that's we don't get a lot of time as goalkeepers to practice. You know, the they need us because they're taking shots on goal or they're playing small sided. So they need us to say. So we get thirty minutes. I want to say we do our own warm up, and we incorporate these things in the warm up as well to kind of mm. save time right and also to be able to practice that that unique stuff that we need to practice to help the team and then on a tuesday um we make sure that we incorporate what we learned on monday um into the session we lobby that's one thing that goalkeeper coaches must do they need to lobby for their goalkeepers to get into the sessions because a lot of coaches don't really necessarily have a task for the goalkeeper in the session and then you see the goalkeeper standing on the outside especially if you don't have a goalkeeper coach, right? So I, I really implore coaches to include their goalkeepers because then on a Saturday or on game day and you're asking your, your goalkeepers to do certain things and perform certain tasks and they can't do them, well, why do you think that is, right? Because you didn't include them, right? Um, you, can't, you can't ask someone to do something they haven't practiced. And it needs to be, and in a game, it's instinct. And so you need to develop that. And actually, it's kind of interesting because I'm thinking about that. And then I, the where you coach, the level that you're at, you know, these are men, these are these are adults. And Ben, I think currently you're the one of us that coaches the youngest of everybody. I've got nothing but middle schoolers right now. So you're the one that's coaching the youngest kids. You're getting kids. Well, if I'm right, it's they're eight years old. So yeah. in in a way, is goalkeeping some? Is that a position? yet for them or is this something that a lot of the kids you coach are gonna take on next year in games um you know well so a couple of different things the one is um i want to address something just right off the bat with what sure, jesse said it. not 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 an opposition i just i would like to say i heard you say um goalkeepers are off you know now are sort of like the third or the 11th sorry the 11th field player and that thinking, I think, should be should eventually be changed. We are the 11th field player as a goalkeeper. Exactly. They are yeah, the 11th right. player. Like, mm -hmm. it's we're not different than field players. We just simply have an extra set of abilities on the field. And it, too often, I think, when it, when it comes to 
training and when it comes to um how do i say who a goalkeeper is at its core it's looked at as other than out on the field when we're soccer players we need we possess the same skills and we possess the same responsibilities to the team good defense and creative offense you know it just happens to be our ability to defend includes using our hands and the ability to use angles and things along those lines and our ability to use offense also allows us to use our hands and a um longer ranged attack you know so i just like to address that real quick now when i'm talking about the you know the little guys and when do i think it's appropriate to start um implementing more goalkeeper specific training for them i i tend and and i'm not the most loved for this but i i tend to believe that it's when the when the child wants i mean at eight years old i knew i wanted to be a goalkeeper so why did my coach wait until i was you know 10 or 11 to start encouraging me to play that all the time you know if i didn't want to play out on the field i didn't like it as much i wanted to be a goalkeeper so let the kid go 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 be a goalkeeper you know the um the, what i do with my kids is i didn't have any that wanted that threw their hand up and really demanded it on one team i didn't have anybody that really wanted to do it at all so they all rotate you know they're young enough that i'm not results based at this age so let's give them all a hand at it you know some of the kids flourish and love it i would say a vast majority of them on my top team hate it you know now if we look at my second team we have two goalkeepers, two kids that really like it. They split time. Both of them, I do extra training off the field with them. If their parents would like me to, you know, I'm happy to. Um, but when it comes to me thinking about them being my goalkeeper or the kid I go to, they're still just a little bit too young. Even if I had a kid that, that was my full-time goalkeeper, they're still too young to put that type of pressure on them. You know what I mean? I, I want them to be in sessions, getting touches with their feet, that sort of thing. It's just when we transition into more directional um, opposition, then I say, okay, you know, uh, Billy, go jump and goal, you know, because that's the kid who wants to be a goalie. And then I work with him in that position in that, you know, um, his angles, I'll set up a dome for him. We'll talk about his ball line you know, getting off his line, that sort of thing. And I, I try to also include that in the um, way in which I communicate to my teams overall. So one thing I notice in a lot of youth coaches is they miss opportunities to in um, kind of incorporate the same idea to both sides of the ball. So a great example is um, if you're doing a shooting session and you have uh, your kid in goal and he's standing on the goal line, right? And the ball's 20 yards away. You talk to the both the strikers about, hey, they're giving you all the goal in the world to score on. Just don't hit it at him, right? Because he's giving you all that angle. Then what I would do is I'd take the goalkeeper and I'd have the goalkeeper look at it from the shooter's perspective. Oh, if you're standing on your goal line, who now I have some sub in there as the goalie, What's wrong with that image? Oh, they can shoot anywhere. Okay, so let's have him come out a little bit. You see, as he walks further away, it becomes more difficult to score on the outer edges of the goals. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's an easy concept where I can take a shooting situation and still give a bit of knowledge to that goalkeeper, you know, so they not only don't feel left out of the session, 
they feel included in the session, but they're also able to glean the correct information about the basics necessary for goalkeeping, you know, which is angle play, um, ball line, and then basic catching technique, basic passing technique, you know, some, sorry, basic distribution, along with all, I believe, along with all the basics of a field player, the basic, you know, technique to pass, strike a ball, you know, bring a ball out of the air, which is something goalkeepers never get time doing. And I can't tell you how often you see, especially at the youth level, a ball get played back that's a bouncing ball to the kid's chest, you know, but the goalkeepers never worked on taking a ball out of the air because when they've been doing Brazilian drills, that kid's been sitting off the side doing nothing, you know, because mm -hmm. they go, well, he doesn't need to learn how to trap a ball with his thigh, you know, and then they get put in that situation and they can't perform, you know, and then to your point, Jesse, who do you have to blame? Yourself. You couldn't have just added the kid in, you know, and that's, that's often, and that's back to my original point about seeing goalkeepers as other than we're not, we just have a unique set of skills, you know, and if you change the, your thought process and you go, Oh, that dude's a field player that can just use his hands it becomes really easy to start incorporating, you know, even at my O six level, I go, Hey, go, you're just going to do possession. Cause the first half of our session is going to be nothing but possession. So you're just going to go do possession with your team. Now, am I going to freak out on that kid because he couldn't, you know, play a bending ball that split all three defenders onto a kid's foot on a dime? No, but we're going to talk about playing very solid, very um, concrete and consistent two to three touch ball. You know, very basic, play left to right. If those options aren't open, go long, you know, and work with him on that in those high, more high intensity situations. I think so here, that's going to answer your question. <laughs> I, I have a question to, to piggyback on some of the things you yeah. said. So, um, so you said goalkeepers have abilities on the field, right? They're, they're, they have a special set of abilities, but they also have abilities on the field, right? Um, and then there's that thought process versus they have deficiencies outside of goal, right? Mm. So it's kind of like thinking about it as like a half, empty half full kind of glass thing right where on one side it's they have abilities uh, special abilities that they bring on the field versus they have deficient deficiencies that limit them to goal and then another the other idea would be it's a field player who can use their hands versus the goalkeeper who can play the field and i don't really know if there is a difference between any of those things but maybe there is a difference in the way people think about it when they think about what, what a goalkeeper is right I think there's, oh that's I think just there's, the person uh, that is has gloves on right and, and it obviously depends on the team who the goalkeeper is like what the coach is bringing to the table all of these things are variables but I wonder if kind of just what what those verses kind of what those two what those things versus each other sort of means to you I, th I you feel like it's just it. the definition of inclusion you know, mm -hmm. is what you're looking at, you know, is when you think of a goalkeeper as a field player that can use his hands, well, he's naturally included in the group, right? Because mm -hmm. we're all field players, right? you know, but if you think of him as a, as a goalkeeper that can use their feet, well, now I'm other than, now I'm different than the group, gotcha. you know, because I've been separated and said, I have one characteristic that's similar, right? As opposed to one characteristic that's unique. So I would say the biggest definition to that would be the definition of inclusion. 
and that's what I speak to to Jesse's point originally and piggyback on it. That's where I think the the approach to um, goalkeepers has to change at a fundamental sort of idealistic you know level is we are not other than to the team. We are part of the team. This is a position of the team. And so whatever the team tactics are, the team methodologies, the meta used for that team to be successful has to include the goalkeeper. And until recently, it hasn't, you know? So most coaches nowadays are trying to figure out how to, because the game is asking that of us now. You know, when you're looking at a five-man press, right? Even against a five-man defense, that is, that is not a good, that's not good numbers for your defense, right? Man, one v one matchups is terrible. So the goalkeeper is now by the meta of the game being asked to be included because of its positioning out on the field. So if you're not including your goalkeeper in your tactical ideas, meaning that they have a firm basis for the style of possession that you want to play, how you want to go about playing that possession, are you looking for players that are checking into pockets to, you know, to play balls out through windows? Are you looking for players to make longer runs off of players that are checking in? What is your tactical idea, understanding and passing that on to the goalkeeper, not just through direct communication, but through game situation, you know, and mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. where so much of it gets missed. And it, it I think sometimes we think, well, if we throw the goalkeeper in at the scrimmage at the end, they'll gleam it. Like, they'll get it. <clears throat> Not really, you know, because now you're saying, oh, well, we're going to use you for 15 minutes. So you did a 30-minute warm-up, usually with your goalkeeper coach. We did a small shooting drill, or you were included in some small-sided thing where maybe there wasn't even any shooting, right? So all you did was <clears throat> work maybe on a couple of passes or some possession or whatever, right? But nobody even addresses you because you're just a neutral player, you know? So they're talking to their three central mids about how to form triangles and where to check and that that sort of thing. Right. So you're not really being told what to look for as a field player in that situation either. Right. And then you're thrown in at the end of the scrimmage where maybe you get two or three situations to be part of. And that's if your team is not the successful team in the scrimmage at the end. I mean, you know, we all know (laughs) we've all run sessions where we go at the end of it. Oh crap. That, you know, team a, was way too dominant over team B and I didn't notice it until too late, you know, and all of a sudden that one goalkeeper has only gotten one shot or been involved in one play. Like I'll go over to that goalkeeper at the end and we'll talk about how to communicate in a positive way to the offensive side of our team, you know, which is something a lot of goalkeepers don't know is, is part of their responsibility. You know, if, you see an opportunity if you're if your coach a great example that I see missed at the youth game often is um the overlapping run out of the outside backs. I'm sure Jesse as an outside back, you wouldn't know this, you know, that absolutely it's it's a wildly missed thing in the youth game. You know, when your outside wing checks in, that guy in the back never goes forward. Why aren't you having your goalkeeper freaking out on that guy on the outside to get forward into the space? That's your goalkeeper's responsibility but they will never know that if they're only thrown in for 20 minutes at the end for a scrimmage where they're only given maybe one or two shots and then, you know, conceivably only talk to if they make a mistake, you know? Yeah, that's, I'd like to, yeah jump in, Jesse, yes. Uh, yeah, I'd like to jump in on that yeah, because yeah. Um, you talked about, 
in a high press situation, we expect for our goalkeepers. So in a high press situation, when you're 5v5, that's not good numbers. And then we expect for our goalkeeper to jump in and bail us out and perform well. And we don't expect anything less. But then you've included this kid 15 minutes in on every practice session. So by the end of the week, the kid only has an hour worth of practice while everybody else has four hours worth of practice. Okay. Yeah. Your expectations are high and there's a mistake and all of a sudden the goalkeeper is scrutinized. Yeah. That's not fair. Okay. So we must include these guys and something else that I want to piggyback off. And I think I want to build on actually was you're talking about how goalkeepers should be freaking out at these players when we don't transition. Well, it helps us out as goalkeepers. Here's another thing. I believe that one of the biggest reasons why that doesn't happen is especially, um, uh, when it comes to goalkeepers who don't communicate, right? Oftentimes, you can trace that back to how not uh, involved they are at practice. They don't have the common language that the players on the field have. If you don't incorporate your goalkeepers, they cannot adapt to that common language and use that with the field players. I've heard too many times when I go scouting, coaches are screaming at their goalkeepers what the heck are you saying right yeah and i'm over here thinking well he would understand how to talk to his team right if you incorporated him and i bet you if i talked to the kid he would say he's not very included yeah and so that is something really important i mean we talk about a common language with the team and we're talking about including the goalkeeper because he is the 11th field player he's part of the team he or she are part of the team and that's what needs to happen more and more. Yep. 100%. 100%. I mean, it's a um, it's a thing I think if you present to most coaches that they'd be like, whoa, that makes so much sense. You know, because why would you why would you throw away an asset if you didn't have to? I think that yeah, a lot of coaches. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of coaches forget that how useful a goalkeeper can be to your team. You know, the goalkeeper can be another if they're good and they know how to communicate and they have a good understanding of what you want as a coach. They can be another little coach for you out there. They can 100%. be the guy who, who dictates and, and, and really, really, really sees, you know, because you're looking at it from a very flat angle. They're looking at it from a very 3D perspective. They're really able to see the little intricacies. And if you've got a kid you can trust in goal that you've built up well, that that has confidence too in his position and what he wants to say or she wants to say they're worth their weight in gold you know i mean they really really are because they will solve problems for your team that you don't even know are there you know Absolutely. and it's so apparent when they don't do it but it's something that coaches just go well the kid has it or it doesn't and we kind of shirk the responsibility to develop it in the kid and mm -hmm. the air in the player and it's so important and all it really takes is demanding of the goalkeeper the same thing you would demand out of a central midfielder you know how do you want your central yeah. midfielder to talk well just yeah. do the same thing with your goalkeepers you know oh, yeah. if they're in a session and they make a communicative mistake address it but encourage mm -hmm. and and encourage the confidence to talk that was something i know growing up as a goalkeeper myself I had a guy forever ago tell me, you know, sometimes you're just going to have to look at your coach and say, okay, sir, and then do whatever you want to go do as a goalkeeper, you know, mm -hmm. because the position's so unique <laughs> that they might not even understand 
you know, I had coaches tell me that I was never allowed to say anything positive to my players. And I remember mm -hmm. looking at it, what am I supposed to do? How are they ever going to oh. respect me? You know, mm -hmm. so it's not just about that balance of, um, that balance of do we include them or don't we include, you have to include them because mm -hmm. otherwise they will ne never possess some of the most basic skills or basic skills necessary to the success of your team. You know, that, you know, yeah. Well, I think that's definitely happening. I mean, what I, I took my D license in like 2014 or no, oh, no, sorry. It was my E because, which is now gone, which is now the grassroots. I think my, took my E in like 2014. And even back then there was an element of it that was like, here's how to include your goalkeeper. And the reason why that's taught at, for youth levels is because most of the time you don't have an assistant coach. So you can't actually, or a goalkeeper coach. So, so the, it's inconceivable to be like, yeah, I'm going to train my goalkeeper on the side. Not possible because you don't have the resources. So then they were, they were already sort of explaining like, you know, it's good for your, your, your goalkeeper is also a soccer player. You may as well have them be able to pass and use their feet and you know just play you know what i mean and also it's good to involve them because they like it and then they're part of the team so that was the most basic way it was originally put forward the first time i did coaching courses over time now i've noticed it's gotten deeper and deeper which is good but also we see this the professional level that's where this has been just put right in our face right where like now there's an enormous acceleration it's almost like when Barcelona's Guardiola team came through and all of a sudden everyone was like I need my kids to be on a team that plays tiki-taka short passing football I want possession based if you guys play a single ball in the air I don't want my kid to play on that team that's not technical stuff that's you know like there's certain people got really really obsessed with that style of play and now I think we're seeing this sort of quote-unquote similar obsession with building out of the back and it puts goalkeepers in like in impossible positions, like we said, expecting them to do things that we allow our center backs to make mistakes for every now and again, or yeah. midfielders, right? Mm -hmm. And so as this position's evolving, and we're starting to see, first of all, the backlash of what happens when it goes wrong, right? But also the praise for what happens when it goes right. And so I just think this has been a fun thing to watch people deal with, um, to, to watch it and, and be like, well, do we like the risk? I can tell you the parents of a lot of the kids that I coach, they don't have a single problem with this building out of the back, none. But I also don't coach my kids to do it in situations where the other team has decided, okay, you know what, that's it. 10 people are going to go and step in your box. Now, what are you going to do? Well, we're just going to go over you, right? But when I watch the way this position has been evolving, I, I often wonder, do, do, do you guys think, especially at the levels that you coach, that you're seeing a change really in the way goalkeepers are viewed? Because I know it's already happening because of the way my keepers are, because of the way we're already told to coach. So what we grew up playing with is already almost gone. So, you know, do, do you guys see it really... I guess the evolution of this getting to a point where people are actually able to see these, these players in a totally different way. Are we just kind of waiting for this to just 
sort itself out while we're going through a massive upheaval? You mean, you mean, um, are we waiting for the goalkeeping <clears throat> to, to sort itself out in terms of catch up to the development of the game? No, I mean, just everyone's, you know, every part of it, even, I mean, goalkeepers, goalkeepers themselves needing to catch up to the demands that have been placed on them overnight, right? Um, expectations of either coaches or players for what that means when this change has happened overnight, right? And do you, I mean, I, I kind of feel like this swift, rapid overnight change is a good thing because we're being forced to have these conversations in a way that no one did from the beginning of football to now, really. I mean, I can't, you know, so what do you guys think? Yeah, I yeah, think so. That, yeah. Go, go ahead, sure. Jesse. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, yeah, no, please so do. I think that, I think that, um, you know, in, in my humble opinion, I feel like we are catching up and I, and like you said, Sebastian, um, on point rapidly, we have to adapt, um, you know, as we are a more exposed to the game, you know, from abroad and what we're seeing with like, you know, Ter Stegen, with Alisson, with, mm. um, you know, all these goalkeepers and the standards are being raised, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. At the professional level here and then that trickles down, right? I mean, at the level that I coach, um, I remember when I first started goalkeeping, uh, sorry, goal, uh, coaching um, college back when I was uh, 24. So uh, our goalkeeper was a standard goalkeeper. And as the years went by, the goalkeepers that I would recruit had more and more skills. And, you know, um, but on top of that, it was because the other teams were high pressing more. They were more organized. Um, you know, we had to have goalkeepers that could meet uh, the demands of the game. And I feel, I feel like that's, that's absolutely correct that we are catching up and it's happening fast. And I wouldn't be surprised that in a few years, you know, the whole, uh, perception of the goalkeeper not being the 11th player will no longer be around. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I think so. At least in parts where there is influence from the outside, because there are many remote areas here in Texas uh you know rural areas where there's not much football to be watched i coached in alexandria louisiana for a little bit the goalkeeper sits literally on the line yeah right? <laughs> oh god so i mean you know and then you're asking this kid hey you can step off your line well why yeah i'm gonna get i'm gonna get chipped yeah okay from everywhere exactly well yeah. i don't want to leave my goal right i don't feel comfortable yeah oh okay yeah. well you know, this kid hasn't, you know, um, there is no influence here to influence these kids to venture out to, you know, play with their feet and things like that. And again, that's, a, that's the, um, the old school way of coaching, you know, is still there and whatnot. And yeah, that kind of influence, but I feel like we are quickly adapting and uh, goalkeepers are a lot more fun to watch now, a lot more fun yeah. to play. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I, I think it's amazing. Yeah, I agree. Exciting um, times. I, you know, to, to piggyback on what Jesse's saying, you know, something that gets ignored often in the grand scheme of the way we look at the game is the meta. You know, what is what is <clears> at the time the most successful and you know in the game? 
And if we break that down, it kind of falls into two categories, offensive defense, you know, and you go through periods. And I'm sure if we looked at a large chart over the last 50 years of all the premier league, let's say we'll just use the English premier league as um, all of their results, right. That you would see spells where there were years where mo the majority of the game were one, one, nothing, two, nothing games. Well, that's where the meadow of the game has transitioned over onto the defensive side. Goalkeeping has caught up. Defensive structure has caught up, which has allowed goalkeeping to catch up, things along those lines, right? Then it, when that happens, it forces the offensive end to pick their side up. So they develop new and creative strategies, different formations, different, um, you know, different combination plays, you know, um, for, for to use your example, Tiki Taka was an evolution of the offensive side of the game picking up. That meta is also increasing. So the amount of time that the meta remains the meta is decreasing. So 10, 15, 20 years ago, when we were growing up, you could get something like um, Manchester United's dominance in the early 90s using, you know, using a flash counter technique, right? Well, how do you break that? You develop a very, very, very concrete, deep lowing blocks, deep lying blocks of defense. And to build out, you know, to protect those blocks, you use something like possession, AKA Tiki Taka to build out. So all of a sudden we saw this rebirth of, you know, this, I say rebirth, but birth of um, Tiki Taka that came out, right? And that sort of transitioned the game into this more kind of one, nothing to nothing game, very defensive oriented, the better defensive teams are gonna win the game, that sort of thing, right? So we went from this high scoring meta to this high defensive meta. And now we've transitioned back a little bit into this high offensive end meta. You know, well, it's really easy to put that on goalkeepers because it, it, it also doesn't require the pundits, the people that are um, supposedly analyzing the game and then espousing that analyst to us as patrons of the sport. It um, allows them to be lazy, you know, to be perfectly honest. Like um, a great example is... Um, the goal Bruno Fernandez scored against, oh man, I think it was against Everton, where he yep, kind of like yep. does this like little hip swivel, right? And everybody was like, oh, it's all the goalkeeper's fault. No, the goalkeeper doesn't even bite on the cross. It's just an absolutely beautifully struck ball by Bruno Fernandez and you, Bruno Fernandez. And you could argue that he had the time to hit such a beautiful ball because he wasn't under pressure. And he wasn't under pressure because if you watch the replay, the two center backs, and I believe the central midfielder or the outside back, I can't remember which, talk into the middle of the field, anticipating a cross based on the meta of the game, right? And Bruno Fernandez just happened to be more creative than that. And it, it and hit a perfect shot, which beat the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper didn't make a mistake. The goalkeeper got beat, you know? So a pundit looking at that game, it becomes very easy for them to go, well, that goalkeeper made a mistake instead of addressing the real analytic, the analytics of what occurred, which was the defense were pulled out of position by movement of, of the offense into the, into the um, box, the middle of the box, the, the PK area of the box. There was deception from the pass from, I think, Juan Basak on the outside into, um, or not, uh, um, I don't think it was. Yeah, I think it was Juan Basaka. It wasn't, yeah. but Juan Basaka, yeah, Juan Basaka. So, yeah onto the inside into Bruno Fernandez. And then Bruno, Bruno Fernandez hit a gorgeous shot, you know? So instead of forcing the analyst, taking the time to really dissect all that and then expose that information to us, 
the sound bite is a lot easier to just go, well, that guy's an idiot. That goalkeeper messed up, you know, okay, and right. it's more sensational, right? Mm -hmm. So I see when we're in this upswing, and I've seen it my whole life as a goalkeeper, when we're in that upswing of the meta being on the offensive side, it's rarely on the general populist side, the everyday fan or the, the casual fan, I mean, is just going to see that as a bunch of goalkeepers not being able to do their jobs. When you're looking at it from the coaches' perspectives, most of the more dedicated coaches understand that that really speaks to probably a flaw in the defensive methodology being used at the time which leaves the goalkeepers in situations where they're kind of left out to dry, you know, mm -hmm. and then mistakes happen and they get, you know, crucified for those mistakes. And to your point in the beginning, get very, very little credit for the simple things they're doing right that prevent a lot of mistakes in those situations. You know, what nobody, I wanna... give, uh, nobody gives, um, you know, Ederson any credit for the fact that he literally receives every back pass perfectly every single time and that's what allows him to be so gifted offensively from the end you know from the goal. well what about you know uh another keeper that received a lot of perfect passes victor valdez yeah yeah, yeah great I mean. example yes great example in fact be a perfect example yeah yeah well you know i actually want to that game you just mentioned that goal you just mentioned that was the if i'm correct that was the three three draw between united and everton which had a whole bunch of good things to say. So first of all, on that goal, one thing that I remember you and I spoke about this, like the day, the day of the game or the day after the game. And I remember I told you, or you told me, I don't remember who said it first. Um, that what was said. Yeah, it, it, it was probably me because, you know, I was talking about Bruno Fernandez and he wears a number 18 like I did, even though I'm not a Man United fan. No, uh, but what I remember is that the ball came to him and he super casually just took a step forward and let it run through his legs. He, he sold it, this very simple dummy in the, yeah. in the biz. The ball went, he didn't pass it to Wambasaka. He let it run to yeah. Wambasaka. And when he did that, the, the connection between the left back and the center back, there was just a freeze because they thought Fernandez was going to take the ball. And when it gets to Wambasaka, they're like, well, we have to block the cross. And Fernandez hasn't really moved. He takes one step away, comes back, gets the ball. And by this time, the, just because of that dummy, they sat off him just a little bit. And it made them not sure what was coming next. And then he gets the ball at the top of the box. And they think, okay, he's probably going to cross this because he shimmies like he's going to. And so they're in actually a good position to, if he's going to wind up and cross it, get a leg out. But then he just with a with basically no backlift hits a ball to that back corner now i just want to mention something else on this goal because i heard joshua kimmick talking about the goal he scored against borussia dortmund uh in the classicer that they had um sometime last year it was the last time they played each other and he said that he got to a position to shoot and knew that his chances of scoring from that angle were low because he knows that the goalkeeper is someone who cuts off your angle. And so he said, the only thing I could try was something special and try to chip it. Thankfully for me, I got lucky. It worked, which I thought was an excellent way for him to describe. He's not like, Oh yeah, yeah. I chipped the goalkeeper. He's like, I had literally no other option. That was the only thing possible because I know what he is. I know how good of a goalkeeper he is. So when I go back to that man United game, you guys are man United fans. De Gea got absolutely slaughtered 
for the two goals that were scored. Um, first, the first one was when Calvert Lewin crossed it, uh, and he parried it out, and Decore put it in. I think De Gea did make two or three pretty incredible saves, at least yes. in the first half and in the second half as well. And then the final goal that Calvert Lewin scored, there was the flick on by Michael Keane. Calvert Lewin takes it down on his like hip or mid drift and has no questions to himself that he's going full on for that ball. And De Gea maybe wonders for a second. And then by the time he comes out, he can't actually beat Calvert-Lewin to the ball. So what I heard from Gary Neville, spectacular piece of an analysis, why doesn't he just take him out? Yeah, because that's going to go over well in the VAR age, right? <laughs> just go and just murder the goalkeeper. I mean, I guess Pickford kind of got away with it as well. I mean, but... I guess here's the thing that game as two United fans, you guys watch that you see De Gea who's carried the club for a long time and who's getting enormous amounts of stick. Yes. These are mistakes. Maybe I actually would say the second goal. What the hell is your line doing that high? Like tell them, launch it at the top of our 18. And if you flick it on our goalkeepers, got it right. But you can't allow a flick on to another touch and then say our goalkeepers got to be able to come out and get that. So this is where blows my mind these tactics they don't really make a lot of sense sometimes they put the goalkeeper in a position where you're basing everything on whether or not the delivery and your defense do their job if not you're now relying on your goalkeeper to do something extra is that what you guys saw from that game i mean jesse yeah. as a non-goalkeeper i'm gonna start with jesse as a non-goalkeeper what was your opinion of the goals that were scored and 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 how it just felt as a man united fan really well, as a Man United fan, it always sucks when we get scored on because uh, I'm a big De Gea fan, and I believe that he gets crucified way too often, and I think he's a very gifted goalkeeper, and he went through a little bit of a stint there where uh, I believe that he was going through some psychological issues just because of how much he was getting smashed, right? I think so, too. For mistakes that weren't all on him, to be honest. I mean, as goalkeepers, you you want to save everything, Right? But it's impossible, especially whenever the people in front of you are not protecting you, yeah. right? And there are gifted players on the other side of the ball. I mean, at that level, um, you have to be an exceptional goalkeeper to be able to save anything. So honestly, I mean, hats off to De Gea. Um, he's been doing it for a very long time. I think it's really unfair, you know, the, the, the criticism that he gets um, all the time. Um, I believe that, um, you know, also as a Man United fan, you know, we've got two exceptional goalkeepers right now. Right? Yeah. Anderson right behind De Gea, like, what the heck is he doing there? Right. But at the same time, I put that extra pressure on De Gea to perform. Um, but, but yeah, I really think that they get it wrong whenever they, they, they crucify De Gea, especially when we've been changing our back line so often. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely unfair. You know, at that level, we talk about how there's, not very much room for error and you're changing the var the variables that stand right in front of him to protect the goal um and you're playing in the best league in the world arguably right um with that kind of attacking power on every team i mean seriously i just don't think it's fair um i'll have to say about that yeah i mean you know i i like to look at it and um let me use a slightly different example to to give you some some light in the way I feel about it is um like right now we're in a uh, 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 very high-end um 
offensive meta, right? So offense, 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 right? Well, if I'm a coach and I'm playing at the highest level, I have to make a decision, right? In a time period where the offense is generally outplaying the defense in most games, am I going to try and buckle down and, and, and protect my goal and bunker in front of my goal? Or am I going to try to outscore the opponent? Well, the meta would lead itself to saying, let's try to outscore the opponent, right? So if we take that as an example and we look at and look at somebody like Digi, uh, Die, oh my God, I always mess up this poor fellow's name. Can you add that? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm so okay. Gary Gary Neville Gary Neville butchers it too. I'm so bad with the names, and it's it's probably because I grew up loving Gary Neville. Um, (laughs) But uh, Degia. So if you use him as an example, right? He is someone who um, is being put in some like very precarious situations. Situations where it feels like. The coaching staff of Manchester United, which I'm a hardcore Skullshires fan, so please do not hear me say I'm criticizing it, but it sounds like what they're doing is they're saying risk versus reward, right? If we play with our high line so high and we play with Juan Bissaka and we play with Luke Shaw on the outside and we really kind of only play with one center back holding, we're going to put Gia in some terrible situations, you know, where, for instance, balls are going to, he's going to be 1v1 with a player that's had 20 yards to make a decision about where they want to go. That is a, that is a literal, it's the worst case scenario for a goalkeeper because you can only go to your 18, you know? So this guy's got 30 yards to run at you, make decisions about where he's going to cut angles, how he's going to do things like that. And you're kind of stuck in no man's land, right? And he has been put in a bunch of situations like that with Manchester United this year where they have erred on the side of if we get scored on, we're probably going to outscore the other team. And that's why you also hear their coaching staff say, Hey, this kid's had our back for, you know, seven years. We're going to have his back for this year or two years or whatever. Right. Because they, I think they totally understand we're going to get this poor kid's going to get left out in the rain, you know, and he's going to have, have to have a tough skin and suck it up and know that we have his back regardless of what the pop, you know, the populace is saying. Yeah, to address uh, something that you just mentioned as well, the yeah. way that United, that United plays right now, where attacking with Juan Bissaka and Luke Shaw, yeah. um, I believe that an example that, you know, that we can use is uh, to, to kind of give credit to your argument there is how many times have we conceded first? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Right? Against yeah. teams that we shouldn't be conceding against. Yeah. Right, obviously. So um, the style of play has so much to do with it. And he's yeah. been, like you said, put in some very particular situations. Yeah. Right? That, I mean, any goalkeeper, you put any goalkeeper in that situation. And, I mean, it's it's most likely going to be a goal. Yeah. So I want to talk well, about one situation. No, go for it, Ben. Go oh, for sorry. it. Sorry. So, and then just to round it out, too, with to use a slightly different example um, to help exemplify kind of like where we're at as a culture and the way we address goalkeepers and where I think we could kind of move towards is um, Liverpool's um, Becker. He comes out, I can't remember what team they were playing, but he comes out and he makes a boneheaded play. He gets caught in no man's land. He misses the ball like 30 yards from the goal. Is this the Leicester game? I think the Leicester game. Yeah. The guy taps it in. Right. 
That's right. He, the they pundits, so everybody yeah. is like, this guy's a nub. What's he doing? This is insane. It's terrible, right? No more than maybe two and a half minutes after that, he saves the game by making an, an unbelievably incredible save inside his six. You know, perfectly timed, got off yeah, his line, got one. big, you know, balls for days just in the guy's face, you know? And that that is like a quintessential example where all the pundits said after that, wow, what a great save. They didn't address its implication in the game. They didn't address the fact that it then stimulated his team to play out the rest of the game in a high, you know, high pace. You know, it didn't, it, they didn't address any of that. They simply addressed, oh, nice save. But when he made a mistake, they talked for two and a half minutes about how terrible he was. So mm-hmm. the, the essence being like, if, if we, and, and to your point, Jesse, like at the pro level, the margins for error are close to nothing. If, if really, realistically, they are nothing, you know, but because a goalkeeper's mistakes are magnified by the goal itself, it becomes something otherworldly when a goalkeeper makes a mistake, right? But part of their job when they do something sort of superhuman, like like the save Becker made at the end of the game to keep to keep Liverpool in the run, you know? And that gets ignored because that just becomes part of the game. Oh, that's your responsibility, you know? But Absolutely. when you make a mistake, it's you're a demon and you have intentionally tried to demify, you know, destroy our team and our ethics, you know, or, you know, what we're, what we're, our winning mentality. And that's, you know, that, that I think, again, if we remove it from the passion of soccer and we just sat and looked at a whole bunch of like, you know, analysts, they'd go, Oh, that's insanity. That's crazy. That's not logical. That's craziness. Yet we do it all the time and i think part of that is the disattachment to the position which leads itself to the laziness and its analyzer you know and and analysts and 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 it's in in those that analyze it i don't know if i'm using the correct yeah no well you know one thing that you mentioned to me you and i talked about that uh that specific incidents as well right where he, he he first they give up the goal uh from that wide free kick then there's Allison coming out, missing the ball, which by the way, look, it Allison, was Kabak. I think yeah. it was Kabak's first game. Yeah. Um, and so you've got a 20 year old center back, center back who's playing his first game. Um, goalkeeper comes out to get a ball and he's probably like, uh, I, I thought I had this right. And then, so you have the, that, that portion of it, let's have already make it two one. And then it's two one. And this is, then he makes this save. Now, one thing that you mentioned to me and also that Casper Schmeichel said on his uh, on the episode of the high performance podcast that he was on, which I recommend anyone listen to because it yeah. was it, it was yeah. awesome. But he said because mm-hmm. they asked him about how goalkeepers, you know, recover from making mistakes and, and, and everything. And he was like, well, first of all, goalkeepers are the number one people to go to the sports psychologist. And like literally, Ben, you said everything that he said, you pretty much echoed. So either you heard him say this or you also know this as a goalkeeper. But that goalkeepers are the f- first people to go to the sports psychologist. And it's not to sort out their problems, which is what everyone seems to think. Yeah. That they're like, I got psychological issues. I made a mistake last game. And, and now I've got to talk to them. I shrink to get no, no. It's they are there to sharpen up the tools and their frame of mind 
so that after they make that crazy mistake, they're able to make that incredible save a few minutes later and just be back in the zone that they're in. And I think about the fact that you just mentioned it. No one talks about these things that, you know, it's just, oh, the goalkeeper made a mistake. Oh, it was a great save. But a, a striker, right, misses one opportunity or a penalty kick, and everyone's like, oh, you remember four games ago he missed that penalty? It must really have, must really have chipped away at his confidence. Oh, poor guy. All he needs is a goal. If the ball goes off his bum, he'll be back to scoring ways in no time. And, like, with goalkeepers, it's like he made a mistake, came back, and did something outrageous. It's like, oh, yeah, nice one. Um, yeah, so I it, – I think you know, we, we see it so, so often. Yeah, go ahead. So, you know, something too that I'd like to address is I've never played with a guy who's ever given me a hard time when I've played. I've never been on the field with a field player that's given me a hard time in goal, ever, ever. Now they've given me, like, if I've let it go right through my hands or like right through my legs, somebody might be like, a, oh, you know, oh, that something like that. Happens. But <laughs> the, when I, what, I, what I mean by that is... We all understand in the moment as players how difficult it is to be a goalkeeper. And I think all field players empathize with that. It's when you become a coach, when you become in charge, and this goes back to that sort of core of what we've been just, you know, I've been addressing the whole time about us goalkeepers not being other than, right? It's so easy to dehumanize, and I know this a little bit, that's a very intense word, and that's not really at the core of what I'm talking about, but it kind of is, right? It's very easy for these pundits and these analysts to, to dehumanize goalkeepers and say, your one mistake is deserved of a firing, you failed at your job, you know? Whereas it's very difficult to do that to the artists of the game, which are the field players, you know? Which, in, you know, even if you look at something that's always blown my mind is a goalkeeper like Vandesar, for instance, was as valuable to Manchester United's team as Ronaldo when Ronaldo played with him. You know, they were of equal value to Ronaldo's team. And I think if you ask Ferguson, he would say the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. that Vandesar was as valuable as Ronaldo to my Manchester United team. And what he means by that is if you have a terrible goalkeeper and a great, great striker, you're still only going to win half the games. If you've got a terrible, a terrible striker and a great goalkeeper, you're still only going to win half the games. If you've got both guys that are good, you'll win everything, you know, and that's sort of like, if we look at the way things are broken down, we don't even make like the best paid goalkeepers in the world are making like 20 mil. You know, and I know I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying 20 mil is nothing. But if you compare that to 490 million that Ronaldo's making or 490 or 491 that mm -hmm. Messi's making, like it's, it's astronomical differences. Yet the importance of the position to the team is just as valuable. And that speaks to a little bit of the other than the dehumanization of the position at its core and the way in which that affects our um our anal our ability to analyze the position as well and then expels that analyzm to others you know and that's historically that, we blame the goalkeeper for for anything for we everything. Can. yeah it was you know? absolutely it's almost a scapegoat exactly right? exactly at the higher at the higher level you take that responsibility yeah. right 
But like Sebastian said, I mean, a lot of people and, and a lot of people think about goalkeepers as, you know, um, just these people, like you said, Sebastian, when they go to the psychologist, they don't go in there to fix uh, their, their issues, right? Psychological issues as far as their issues or problems, right? Whatever's bugging them out. They're there to stay sharp. They understand that they're going to be the scapegoat. So they need to be extremely sharp. They need to bounce back extremely fast because unlike when you start with the buildup and then the, the forward scores, right? But it starts with the goalkeeper, okay? Everybody gets praised because it ended up in the goal. It resulted in the goal. But not everybody gets criticized when the goal when the ball goes in the back of the net and the forward was not the first defender and he was lazy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It just yeah. never happened. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, this is something just for me, coaching U13, U14, U15, that, I mean, Goalkeepers are really starting to figure themselves out. U13 is when they start to play on the full-size goal, on the full-size field. So when they first show up there, most of them can't kick a goal kick much more than 20 yards before it hits the ground. So high-pressing you is not that hard to do. And so you've got to figure out ways, right? And, you know, to me, just I always hear a lot of coaches around me do complain about their goalies. And I always – I mean, I've, that's what I've felt from the beginning. It's like, well – who else who else didn't do their job and as a player i would only really blame a and i say blame but assign responsibility for a goal to a goalkeeper if we as a team did the best we could to provide them with the easiest shot to take and so as a as someone who played center back um in college and also a lot of like midfield and holding midfield one thing that I always understood was if you can get people out of the middle, then you can kind of give them a, a shot. You can give them a, a, a window, but you completely close off the one that leads to a certain goal. And then you're putting the responsibility on your goalkeeper to do their job. It's not that we don't want any shots hitting you at all. It's we want any shot that's coming is high percentage for you unless it's absolutely brilliant. And Ben, you, you, you mentioned this before, like we talked about this before is just um, how important it is for goalkeepers to know how to help themselves with their communication on a defensive level. And when you guys were talking about how Man United chopping and changing your back line. Yeah. So De Gea has got to be on point and have a great relationship with Lindelof and Maguire, Lindelof and Bailly and by and Maguire and maybe Tuan Zabi when you throw them in there these are all different pairings they operate in different ways it's not just okay a center back pairing the goalkeeper behind has just as big a part of it right am I right to assume that it's a trio really I mean if you want to say the back yes. line ever but there's a trio if you will or a quad if there are three backs that it's not about stopping the opponent. It's about giving everyone the best chance to make the opponent's chance a half chance at best, right? Yes. You know, I'm what we were talking about earlier, just um, for your edification, Jesse, and, and the audience as well, that um, I'm, I'm not a particularly tall guy. I'm only about five, six. So, and I played at a pretty high level. So, what I was really where my gifts lie. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm was very athletic. You know what I mean? I could cover my space. I could make my saves, that sort of thing. But I was never going to get back to my bar. If I was in the best position, 
it was very difficult for me to get back to my bar to make a save on a chip, right? Because of my height and ability to cover distance. So my strengths laid in my ability to manipulate my defense in a way in which I could get, provide myself with the best chance shot to be taken at me. You know, so I would force players out of the middle, but not the whole way down to the corner. So I didn't have to deal with crosses, you know, and then I would encourage my defenders to leave that window open because I had a lot of the angle taken and it usually gave me enough time to get back to my far post to make the save on the chip if they went, went for it, right? That, to your point about adding them in, making sure they're part of the team, making sure that they feel confident with the team, that's what I'm talking about. You know, when I talk about the tactics necessary for goalkeepers to be involved with the team and how they understand, that's what I'm kind of addressing is, is you're, you're absolutely nailed it on the head, Sebastian. It, they are part of that defensive unit and they are a working part of that defensive unit. And if you can get the defensive unit to work for them, for the goalkeepers, along with the tactics of your team, you're going to be wildly more successful because your goalkeeper's shot stopping percentage is going to go up. And I know you and I have talked in the past, Sebastian, about like, how do you define, you know, if you've got two kids, they're both kind of athletic, they both got some positives, some negatives, who do you say is better? Well, some of the basic metrics for that are shot stopping percentage, you mm -hmm. know, you know, shot stopping percentage. I look at shot stopping percentage and control of the defense, meaning how much they communicate and are able to manipulate the defense in a way in which it's beneficial for them and the group. And how often are they able to make saves? You know, Great point, and, if, Great point. and if both of those things are high, then I know that I can round everything else off with that kid, you mm -hmm. know? But if he's got, if he can't make the saves that come right at him or she can't make the saves that come right at her, it doesn't matter how well they can manipulate the defense. They're never, no, I, not to be mean, but they're just never going to be a good they should, you know, they should concentrate on being that field player. Did so, either of you see the goal that Usman Dembele scored against Sevilla just a few days ago? No, for Barcelona? no. Well, you have to look it up. Um, he basically gets the ball inside the penalty area at the corner of it. And uh, actually, he had the ball. No, yeah, that's right. He, he got the ball and he, he was sort of got his route to goal closed off and sort of turned himself around and meandered his way into the box you know into the corner of the box and everyone was shepherding him and he gets outside the penalty area and they just lay off him and he lets the ball roll backwards and just takes a step back oh i did see with it. minimal backlift he cranks it yeah. i mean it's one of the most unbelievable near posts i mean yeah. the keeper has no prayer no yeah. prayer but and, and look the, the commentators were right to mention i mean like close the guy down yeah but yeah. The thing that kills me is like goalkeepers are the ones that have a clean sheet or not. Defenders don't get clean sheets recorded. They don't. Yeah, that's a very so good if point. You, if you're the yeah. moron who allowed Usman Dembele to be going backwards yeah. and shoot a ball into your upper corner, yeah. you know, you done failed. And, and I think those are like, those are situations where if you're a goalkeeper, I can only imagine it's so frustrating. People like this, like, I always thought, well, if you get hit top corner and you're a goalkeeper, you just have to put your hands up and go, uh, but also, you've got to be pissed because you're like, why did you guys let the guy score from 30 yards? Yeah, you, know? you are. I mean, when you've ever seen a goalkeeper really lose, like, I think the is a great example, again, of somebody who keeps very level-headed. He is the first person to be like, absolutely my bad, fellas. Should have made yeah. that save. And he's also the first person to lose his mind 
when he thinks <laughs> that his two center backs are not putting pressure on players. And I think yeah. that's because he understands his weaknesses as well. You yeah. know, yeah. he's a very good shot stopper, but he's not extremely good at the fringes <clears throat> of his mobility. Meaning if you're really going to ask him to make fingertip saves to the corners, he's going to struggle. But you put anything within his his bubble and a little bit outside, he's going to make the save 98% of the time. You yeah. know? Yeah, I wanted to so bring I'm something sure... up as well, Sebastian. Sorry. Yeah, do it. Ben, no, 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 please do. No, 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 please, please, please. What okay, so, uh, sorry. Yeah, so someone that, you know, one person that never gets any stick, well, that, I've, that I haven't heard of, um, get any stick for the mistakes goalkeepers make as the coach and yeah. let me let me tell you why i think this we were talking about alisan and the performance that he had against Leicester. okay well let's not forget that the first goal came in the 78th yeah okay all right the second goal came in the 81st and the third goal came in the 85th so within nine minutes all yeah. of these goals just kind of came boom, 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 boom. And there was no formation or yeah. style of play change or no tactical modification by anyone. You know what Klopp was doing? He was sitting there like this. Yeah. yeah. He was sitting there with, you know, yeah. wide-eyed, staring like, oh, what's going on? And then after that, he kind of accepted it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And everybody else just kind of accepted it. But it just – there was no – there was no changes. And Allison's probably sitting there thinking, you know, because, you know, goalkeepers get back up, right? But after the game, he probably thought, man, these people don't have my back. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, to that point, to that point, Jesse, and, uh, you know, I know as we get towards the end here, um, I think one thing that has to be addressed that we haven't talked about yet is how do you instill, um, how how do you get a youth goalkeeper to believe, or a goalkeeper at any real level, to believe that that you have their backs and the value of that you know um i mean i grew up you know believing that i was on my island you know it was on Mm. me to to tell me i was good it was on me to tell me i was bad it was on me to tell me how my performance had gone because while i played with a group of kids that i played with since i was very very young and we went to states and you know all through high school and all that sort of stuff you know, and we were all very close off the field. They didn't, they didn't know how to make me feel like they had my back on the field. You mm-hmm. know, now they did. They, you know, as I look back now and through history, they, they did do things. But that's what I mean. And it's on the coach to foster that environment where the player, and this is particularly at the youth level, where the player understands that any mistake they make will not be magnified more than the mistakes any of their other teammates make. 100%. Too often I come across coaches where I'll, I'll be playing against them, even at a U9 game, and they'll say something to their youth goalkeeper that I, I wouldn't say to a grown man in a bar. You know, like I wouldn't. And, I, and I've heard you say some it. serious things to grown men in bars. Ben. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, there, exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's my thing is really, while what you're trying to get across to the kid is the importance of them doing their job right, what you're really communicating to the child is, I don't trust you. Absolutely. And one moment of that for a goalkeeper, and they don't trust themselves anymore. And once they've lost that, they, they really shouldn't be a goalkeeper because mm-hmm. if they can't believe in themselves, 
and they're going to second guess themselves even the littlest bit, you know, that's enough time for it not, you know, for them to not make the save for that goal to go, mm-hmm. you know, for that ball to go in the back of the goal, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I think extremely important to, to that point, Jesse, of, of the loyalty that you have to show to your goalkeepers and how you teach them that you are loyal to them, you know, and that does not, I love that, man. And that does not mean either. A lot of coaches think that that's simply playing time. It's not like, for instance, I I had a goalkeeper once and they had, they were getting shelled. We were losing to a very, very good team and we should be, we were, we deserve to be losing. The kid was getting shelled like six goals, seven goals. I pulled my center backs out and I pulled my goalkeeper out. Why should they suffer? you know, another four or five goals that are coming their way when they've been trying their best, they're doing what they can. And we just don't have what it takes to be able to defend against that team. So it's not necessarily about the playing minutes. You can also show loyalty by simply saying, I, I feel for you. You know, I know yeah. what you're going through and that sucks. And I don't want you to have to go through that. So we're not going to let you go through that alone, you know, and that's what so many coaches miss the, the, their their opportunities to go through it with their players and with their goalkeepers you know to yeah. what were you going to say jesse sorry no i was saying i i absolutely uh i really like what you just said there you have to show these kids some compassion especially at this at this at this young age when they're more vulnerable right i mean they're growing up they already have things going on outside of the practice field and then they come into the practice field and they don't just have the parents telling them oh you underperformed right because yeah. it happens a lot they also have the person that they trust so much that's sitting right there, another mentor of theirs, right? yeah. almost another parental figure, a coach who has so much influence over these kids, basically, you know, shelling, um, you know, words at them. Hey, you didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. So it's, that's, that's, that's th- triple times the amount of criticism yeah. that they're getting. And these yeah. are just kids. And then he didn't enjoy the game, you know, and I've heard somewhere that, um, I forgot what podcast I was listening to or where I listened to the sound bit. Someone had said, we don't have enough goalkeepers. Okay. It's true. We don't have it's a real problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talk about the amount of kids who stop playing football so yeah. young after 13, yeah. how many people, how many millions of kids fall off? And, and then we're like, Oh wait, why, why don't we have enough goalkeepers? Oh, well, maybe it's because we run them off. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's because we're screaming at them all the time. You know, well, may, maybe yeah. what we need to do is yeah. scoop up the kids that quit American football and baseball and basketball oh, and goal. be like, "We yeah. have a home for you. Yeah. All you have to do is yeah. all you have to do is learn to kick the ball, like and play. You'll, but but then you get to be the star. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other thing is like one thing that I remember hearing in the 1998 uh, World Cup review. I had I had the VHS for the 1998 World Cup review thing and. Um, when they were talking about the shootout between England and Argentina or or just the different shootouts that happen, they said in penalty shootouts, goalkeepers can only be heroes. And that always stuck out to me. It's like, that's the one time where goalies can always, Oh, like where you don't have anything. There is no no pressure pressure on you really. And then I started to realize over time, they, they have less pressure or they shouldn't be billed to have so much pressure outside of just penalties because really the things they do are heroic all the time and so before we actually start to wrap this up i want to actually talk about some heroes because most of the time people talk about their like favorite players and uh as field players you and i jesse we obviously have our favorite field players ben obviously you do too but i'm gonna go ahead and start with um 
Ben on this question. We're gonna do a couple little quick questions here. First of all, I want to know Ben favorite goalie from the past, <laughs> or it could be goalies, but if there's one goalkeeper yeah. from the past, that's just stands I, out. I have two and they're both Manchester United boys. And, uh, I'm sure Jesse probably know who I'm going to say, but you know, my first one and my all time favorite and will probably be who I, I think of when I think of what it takes to be a goalkeeper is Peter Schmeichel. I think Peter Schmeichel was of all time the, he had the most control of his field, the most dominance of his box, the most um, technical ability of anybody in his time frame, if, if not of all time. And then I would say the other one who's right up there with him, if, if not right on par with him, is uh, Vandasar, Edwin Vandasar. I'm really again, disappointed. I'm very disappointed. He, he, How did you not pick Fabian Bartes? Well, so, so, short, so, psycho so, goalie. That's you, so, man. So hold on. You. So hold on, man. So, hold on. So that's so, it. I was gonna. I was gonna go into that. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> I love Bartes, and Bart. I was gonna say honorable mention to Bartes. My only oh. issue with Bartes was an intense lack of consistency. Oh no! Of if, course. Of if course. it wasn't for that, then I would say that he's right in there with those other two. But. What, what, what I would like to say about Schmeichel and Bandasar at their core, they were consistent. Yeah, totally. Ever, ever, you know, I had a coach a long time ago say to me, I just don't want to be nervous when the ball gets shot at you, right? And it always stuck with me as, as, a, as a goalkeeper. You know what? That's my job. That's what defines my position. Don't have the coach get be good enough at my job and consistent enough at my job that the coach is not nervous when the ball comes to him. You know? And that's those two guys were the epitome of that. And <clears throat> Peter Schmeichel and Edwin Vanessar were the epitome of Peter Check is up there too, but epitome of consistency for, for players. And to your point about Bartez, he was not. <laughs> <laughs> fair fair is 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 world cup and euro run for france were extremely consistent thank god there were only six or seven games yeah i was gonna say yeah uh, out of those 10 games he crushed it <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah sorry jesse yeah yeah so actually one of my favorite goalkeepers is uh tim howard yeah i love tim yeah oh man i love tim guy. howard yeah yeah 100 and uh hero yeah, here in colorado I, man yeah man. really yeah. yeah, he was a Rapids player for yeah. the re- last yeah. of his career. He's he's this is I think this is the only MLS club he played for after he came back from from England. Yeah, this is this is where he came. And what about this other goalkeeper who's um, you know, I don't really hear a lot in conversation. Uh, Claudio Tafarel. Do you remember Claudio uh, Tafarel? Yeah. There's. Yeah. That's a good I'm really glad. I'm glad you mentioned him because he he actually is the subject of what of a question I'm going to bring up in a little bit actually. Okay, go ahead. I'm really glad. Actually, actually, you know what? I'll act. I'll ask that one right. I'll ask that one next. I'm going to go ahead and give you guys my favorite goalies. My favorite goalies, um, Fabian Bartes is in that list because mm-hmm. the '98 French World Cup winning team is this is this special 100%. thing for me. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Um, Jorge Campos. Oh, mostly mostly on. for the jerseys mostly for the yeah. kits it's it, <laughs> it, no flare. one's done it no one's done it since the guy was amazing and also i remember seeing footage of him when he played for the galaxy where they he went and played field in yes. games yeah. and was doing yeah. rainbows over people in the ball. box yeah he scored a goal. Oh, he was incredible yeah. 
But then if you're going to talk about goal scoring goalkeepers, for me and one of my favorite personalities, it's Jose Luis Chilavert, the Paraguayan goalie from the 98 World Cup, who would I've still to this day never seen an international high-end competition like at the World Cup level, a goalkeeper taking all of his team's free kicks around the box. And mm. almost scoring. He almost yeah, scored. That's fair. And he scored a bunch of goals in his career because he took penalties as well. But yeah. that dude was immense in that World Cup. And he was the first person who was like, that's the biggest badass I've ever seen ever <laughs> in goal. So the next question I was going to ask. Um, the uh, Well, first of all, when do you guys think a – like a well, no, no, let's do this one. Who 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 produces the best goalkeepers in the world? Now I know that the United States has been considered that country, right? But Claudio Tafarel is one of the people who got me started in thinking the Brazilians are actually really, really good. They just are guys who can play with their feet, so they're not considered as good of goalkeepers. But you go Dida, I mean Dida was incredible, right? And now, right now, right now, they've got Allison and Ederson. That's their number mm-hmm. one and number two. And Brazil, as far as I'm concerned, have very rarely had a bad goalkeeper in goal, right? I look at Germany, Neuer and Terstegen, right? Mm-hmm. But which country would you say, not even just right now, but kind of historically produces the best goalkeepers? Italy have Zoff and Toldo, and now, you know, other young guys coming through. Who would you guys say? has that award best goalkeeper production ever i'm gonna let you go first jesse um i i and maybe this is just my bias i've always thought germany um so germany had Kahn. yeah right we've got um set Meyer as yep. well yeah right and all the freaking amazing goalkeepers that we have now um i really think that uh, i'm gonna go with germany yeah all right nice one it's a good pick i'm uh i think i'm gonna go with either the netherlands or um or to be honest with you the u.s and my my thought Mm. processes on that are i believe in the training methodologies being fairly systemic throughout the world for goalkeeping Um, When I've looked at different training methodologies in England versus, let's say, Spain, let's say, Germany, let's say, Europe, or even the U.S., they're often based on um, very similar sort of data-driven scientific methodologies, and a lot of that stems from the U.S. system of training, in my belief, or that's where I see it, it sort of come from. So I tend to believe that when you see somebody like Neuer, really Neuer just looks like a better version of Tim Howard to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so so I would have to say, like, if that's how I'm looking at it, then while I think right now the, some of the best goalkeepers in the world are coming out of Spain and Germany and, and England for that matter, I think that a lot of the training methodologies that you could trace back with those goalkeepers would probably stem a lot from the U.S. Uh, systems of training in the early 2000s and, and um, um, early teens. So early 2000 teens. So I would say I think I would I lean towards the U.S. or um, and then I'm partial to the Netherlands just because of uh, Schmeichel and Vanessa. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Schmeichel's Danish, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, Danish, uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, whole, that whole region. That whole region. <laughs> but, you know, hey, guys, but I mean, honestly, like Germany, I mean, just Sebastian, I'm yeah. so I'm a big fan of Brazil, I'm a huge fan of Brazil, and they have some amazing goalkeepers. And like you said, Claudio Tafarel has been yeah. doing an amazing job. I yeah. mean, awesome. But, you know, think about, for example, top five uh, German goalkeepers, right? John, Jens Lehmann. Yeah, yeah, Jens Lehmann. Yeah. yeah. Lehmann, Schumacher. Yeah. Schumacher. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Kahn. God. That guy, you Kahn, can't bring Kahn, him Kahn is arguably the GOAT. Kahn's you can't bring up newer. You cannot yeah. bring up. Yeah, I'm going to give you a little yeah. piece of cultural yeah. advice. You cannot bring up Schumacher in a positive yeah. light anywhere near a Frenchman, man. <laughs> you cannot do it. For what the 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 absolute uh, attempted murder that he produced happen, in man. the uh, what was it the, the 88 the 88 euros? Yeah. You just like assaulted yeah. the guy. Yeah, that was yeah. No, I mean actually, honestly, I, I'd have to agree. I'd, I'd have to go Germany for how many. And, and here's the other, I'll just, this is a very, um, a, probably a very flimsy reason and, um, and, and not super well thought out, but I think Germans are probably the country with the most amount of success in penalty shootouts. And if that's the case, I got to go metric. ahead and just give it to, I just yeah. got to go ahead. You know, good metric. One, yeah. one, the guys who shoot, they don't bottle it. But the other thing is you've got goalies that are tough and big enough to go and make a lot of saves. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'd have to kind of agree with just a, a historical, there's always someone between those sticks that is me, psychologically super reliable. To the point about PK saves and Brazil, um, I can't remember which Brazilian goalkeeper it was, but Brazil holds the record for most PK saves in a, P, in a penalty shootout in a World Cup. Wow. Well, it might goal. have been Tafarel. I think it was. Saved, I think he, it was Tafarel, and I believe he was the goalkeeper in '94 when yeah. they when they yeah. when and they he saved the first three in a row, right? I, I he God, got I scored remember. on but once. I think he was but also yeah. the goalkeeper in '98, yeah. and they went to yeah. a shootout with yeah. uh, Holland in that tournament. Yeah. So he, he's definitely got some saves. He's the one um, I think where he has. Um, there's like a fo- famous photo of him where he has all the strikers written the top 10 penalty kick takers for oh. each country and he had tape on his water bottle and what side they like to go to for each i remember one that of all of them. i remember that yeah yep. he'd watch all the tape that. on them yeah yeah fascinating anyway sorry next next question so well, the, the the last one uh, the last question i had here was uh what's the most memorable goalkeeping performance you've ever seen and let's go let's go with let's let's actually go with one that other people may have seen so not one that you saw in a game that you played in or one that you had or whatever but just was there one goalkeeper performance that stuck out for you i'm gonna go ahead and well i'll start i'll start just to give you guys a little a little moment to to mull it over um and it's actually the reason i wore this jersey for this podcast today one of the most insane games i ever seen in my entire life was the euro 2000 semifinal between italy and holland now the tournament was hosted by the dutch it was in holland so the stadium was 90 percent orange like completely orange and there was this tiny section at the top not even like the italian fans they didn't even have not a single italian fan was in the lower deck they were given a top deck you get that 10 percent of the stadium up there in this game, Francesco Toldo, the Italian goalkeeper, rather, these are the jerseys they were wearing in that tournament. Um, he made two penalty kick saves in regulation. Um, 
and like in, in you know before the shootout he uh, the dutch missed three penalties in this one of them hit the post he made two saves and then in the shootout he went ahead and made even more saves um it was also the day that i discovered how much of a baller francesco totti really really was but this performance it, i mean i recommend anyone go back and watch this game because it's completely completely nuts and Italy went down to 10 men after about 35 minutes and then pretty much owe their passage to the final um, in that tournament to Toldo in that game. And I mean, yeah, the defensive line was excellent, but Toldo to me that I just never seen a goalkeeper just be like, I got this. And the dude was like six foot four with arms that went on for miles. So that, that to me was the, the performance that I just, I just, it always sticks as like, damn, that was, you did it, dude. You did it. That was, that's, well done. That's you. Who's up? I, I'll, I'll take, I'll take the next one. I have two. I have all of the um, season for Manchester United when they won the treble. I believe Vanessar played the vast majority of all those games. I just like to count that as Wait, the best performance. Schmeichel. The ninety nine. Uh, uh, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. Okay. Um, and then the other is actually a youth game that I coached. I had a uh, we, I you know, we all, we talk a big thing about all the pro games that we watch and all of this and these incredible performances and this and that and we tend to forget sometimes on like a sometimes on Saturday afternoon, you see some incredible incredible things kids playing well beyond their level you know and we um my team which was nowhere near the caliber of you know a top team in the country we we were good but we weren't that good and um we were playing the number one team in the country that had just won a national championship and my goalkeeper easily made 15 to 20 saves in that game and we ended up tying them zero zero and it was i mean the team carried him off after the, you know, at the end of the game, you know, it was one of those moments where he won the respect of everyone around him, you know, the other team, the other team's coaches, the other team's parents, his teammates, myself, Mike, you know, he just, he won everyone's respect. And that to me is this sort of beautiful example of what's at the core of you know what a goalkeeper is capable of doing for your team you know totally. we get ignored a lot in terms of um our ability ability to contribute to the offensive side of the game and that's in a great example of somebody keeping us in a game and winning the respect of the other team which allowed our team to get a foothold in the game you know and he did that through his performance so small shout out colin such hope you're keeping strong buddy this is a great show. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Colin Such, your 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 amazing goalkeeper performance is officially on record forever. Yep, for Coach forever. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well done. So um, okay, my favorite goalkeeping uh, performance ever. And I'm actually a US national team fan, but I am Mexican. Um, um Memo Ochoa. 2014 
World Cup. Yeah, man. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Was that good or not? So good. I mean, that was really good. <laughs> that was amazing. You all know, the memes, all the memes that followed that performance with him stopping, like for example, when he was Neo stopping all the bullets. So yeah, and yeah, all that yeah, stuff. yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, just incredible. I mean, I think he had uh, four incredible saves. Yeah. Right. I think oh, it was, was a nil nil draw with Brazil. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, he's. I think at that moment, you know, because um, he's not an incredible goalkeeper in club, right? He moves from team to team, but it's basically at that moment, we say Memo Choi is a World Cup specialist. Yeah. It's incredible how good he is at the World Cup stage. And then you look at the clubs he plays for and you're like, why has he not been bought by a top level club? You know, it's it's amazing. I I actually thought you were going to mention, (laughs) because of what Ben said about the performance, I was like, "Uh oh, I know which one's coming. I know which performance is coming. Tim yeah. Howard versus Belgium. Oh, yes. Oh, because, yes. you know, and, and this is one yes, of those things yes, I think yes. is kind of cool. I, I don't know if any other country in the world would have appreciated that performance the same way that Americans did. I, and, and I say this in a, in, a, in a cool way because what after the game, uh, someone edited the uh, someone edited something on his Wikipedia page and said that, <laughs> like, listed him as Secretary of Defense. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, remember. Right. Yeah, and yes. look, I mean, it's one thing to create a bunch of memes and everything, but but no one, no one was. Uh, I mean, Americans genuinely, there were people who were like, "We almost won that game." I was like, "Cannot believe." Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. but the funny thing was, everyone was like, "No, like our goalie's that good. We could have won the game." Yeah. And from my yeah. perspective as a soccer guy, I'm like, look, if your goalie is the man of the match, your team's not good enough and you probably should have been beaten, but you have a superhero. I thought it was interesting how from an, a lot of Americans point of view, it was like, yeah, no. So what? We got a superhero. That's our, that's our, that's like, they've got Ronaldo. They've got, or, you know, Belgium has De Bruyne, Hazard and Lukaku. Mm-hmm. We've got Howard and that's our superpower. And yeah. Yeah. I loved the way that Americans really rejoiced in the fact that even though they were under the cosh for 120 minutes they felt like we're just as good because that is an asset that we have that others don't yeah hey you know i want to bring up uh i think uh somebody had told me um i'm not sure of the exact number but after that performance goalkeeper jerseys went up uh, through the roof in the u.s sales Right. That's and I'm like, let's normalize buying goalkeeper jerseys because you know we have all these jerseys, but how many goalkeeper jerseys do we really have? Yeah, yeah. well, you got to talk yeah. about Jorge Campos about trying to make sure oh, goalkeeper 100%. jerseys sell because yeah. um, right now goalkeeper jerseys are boring. Like they've got to they've got to get fly again. <laughs> yeah. like, they they do. They've got to get fly. Again. That's true. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Very so true. yeah, to, I mean, uh, you got. Oh, sorry, go sorry. What were you gonna say? No, go Ben. Go. So, uh, one honorable mention for best goalkeeping performance in a loss. I think has to be, I can't believe, I can't remember if it was Casey Keller or Tim Howard when we lost one nothing to Brazil. And he mm-hmm. made like 20 plus saves. He made like 22 saves in the game. Oh yeah. Something, I think it was Casey Keller. And he made like 22 saves at all. Literally, it was like New York Times headline <laughs> was US wow. loses only one nothing to Brazil. <laughs> you know, and it was all because <laughs> of Casey Keller's like incredible performance, you know? That reminds me of the the headline after the U.S. and the and England drew one one in like I think it was oh six, it was England or it was the U.S. U.S. beats England one one. Yeah, because <laughs> it felt like such a dub. Yeah. 
<laughs> so hilarious. We'll take it. We'll yeah. take it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. But anyway, guys, thanks so much for for doing this. I think it, uh, we'll look. We'll we'll definitely reconvene again because there's plenty of good things to talk about. And obviously, everything this doesn't stop. I mean, there's games every freaking day, and so we, you know, and and the way this is all heated up, and just the goalkeeping angle of this, I think the conversation's just gotten more interesting over the last like few years. And so just to be able to sit around and just rap about it a little bit with you guys has been really, really fun. And I guess for anyone listening, um, my piece of advice, and I, I'd like to give you guys each also just a, one, give a little line of what your personal advice is for anyone who either is a goalkeeper, coaches, goalkeepers, is a parent of goalkeepers, whatever, someone's super connected. So my one piece of advice is, remember that it's a team game like that there's everyone on the field and that a goalkeeper is just one hole in the colander right if water's going to pass through the colander it's not just because there's the goalkeeper is the only hole so always remember that that's my little metaphoric piece of advice how about you guys go for it ben um i just you know don't ever forget we're the last line of defense we're the first line of offense, you know, we're as important to every part of the game as any other player out on the field. And, um, you know, stay positive, stay engaged with your goalkeepers. Don't forget about them and uh, like them a little bit more, you know, the team's show, them, show them, say it again. Love it. What'd you say, Basta? I said, love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You know, love them a little bit more, like them a little bit more, give them a little bit more love. They deserve it. Yeah, so my piece is going to be right along with that. Show your goalkeeper some love. Let's yeah. talk to the players out there. Yeah. yeah, to the field players out there. Show them some love. Yeah. And then coaches, be kind to your goalkeepers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, all something, right. Uh, uh, what is it? The famous line, um, every day is a good day. Just try missing one. Every goalkeeper is a good goalkeeper. Just try missing one. Boom. Beautiful, Ben. Thank you, Jesse. It was really, really nice to have these two guys, good friends of mine, on the show. Jesse is a guy that I know from my master's program that I'm doing in uh, football education. Really, really awesome guy. And, you know, I I give him a lot of credit for someone who jumped into the position and decided, I'm going to learn more about this because an enormous amount of us coaches who were field players don't do that. And it's so valuable. And I hope all of you who are coaches who listen to this, you got a little something out of it. It's so easy for us to forget how paramount this position is. And the way it's changed makes it so that we can't ignore it. So love on your goalie. Love your goalie. Love yourself. Love your team. Love your football. Thank you so much. Thanks for stopping by. This is Campfire Football. We'll talk to you soon.